Open up your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke again. This time, turn to chapter 19. I'm sure you've seen it there in the bulletin. Chapter 19, and the passage we're going to be looking at is verses 1 through 10. Very familiar, I'm sure. Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'll read the passage and then pray very briefly, and then we'll look at it. Here's the word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, we thank you again for your word, for the reading of the word and the hearing of it. And Lord, now as that word would be expounded and applied, Lord, we certainly ask and rely upon your blessing to make it effective, indeed, unto salvation for all who would hear. And this we ask together in Christ's name. Amen. You wouldn't know it, of course, but uh, Brother Ben's prayer this morning, I I just, just amening all over the place, and he wouldn't know it either. But the things that I hope to be able to say to you today were right there in the heart and soul of the content of that prayer. Thank you, brother, for that. Led of the Spirit of God, I trust. And I love the hymns. I actually picked one of the hymns that we sang. Uh, I love them because where I would want our focus and where the Lord would want our focus would be upon his son, Jesus Christ. And this passage will certainly, I trust, help us to do that. If you're saved, I trust you will rejoice in the salvation. If you're not saved, I pray that those words there that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost would be true of you today before this day's over. So that's where we're headed, to rejoice and to look to him who's already come and continues seeking in order that he might save. And that message, I hope, will come out through the account here of Zacchaeus. Any of you grow up in the church singing that little ditty, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? Anybody know that? Yeah. Of course, yep, kind of sticks, doesn't it? Probably been uh, 65 years since I sang that song, but it sticks. Why do you suppose the account of Zacchaeus is in our Bible? Well, you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit put there. And I would say, amen, that's right. Is that what everybody thinks? Well, no. If you ask, for example, the social worker why the account of Zacchaeus is here, They might say, well, it's here, obviously, to show us the challenges of little people living in a big world and that the ADA programs are excellent because why should we have to go look for our own sycamore tree, after all, to get up and be able to see things? 
Or the financial advisor might say, well, of course the account's here because we all know it's better to collect taxes than it is to pay taxes. Duh. Or the environmentalists, hey, maybe they are right. If all of the sycamore trees had been cut down, how could Zacchaeus have seen Jesus? Well, of course, those are ridiculous, aren't they? Obviously. It's very clear why the passage is here. And Jesus tells us, make no mistake about it, he ends this section with clear and simple words, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And here is a prime example of it. Seeking Zacchaeus, finding him and saving him and giving him a day of joyful remembrance when he received the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, preceding this account that we're looking at here in Luke 19, if you go back to chapter 18, there are a number of interesting accounts there. For example, in the first part of that chapter, there's an account there of another tax collector. We don't know his name, but we know what he was doing. He was in the temple, and he wouldn't even lift his eyes to the Lord. He was so humbled by his sin, and yet he went down to his house, and he went down justified. You read on through chapter 18 and you come across somebody who was very rich. We call him the rich ruler. And he had some real issues. Jesus spoke to him, but he did not go away from that meeting very happy at all because he was rich and he desired his riches more than the one who gives true riches. You go further in chapter 18 and you come there upon the city of Jericho. We're introduced to that well-established town, city, if you will, going clear back to when the walls fell down. And there in Jericho, Christ was coming in and there was a man, a blind man, and he made all kinds of ruckus because he wanted to meet with Jesus. And finally, that was able to take place. And the scripture tells us that on that meeting, then all the people glorified God and they praised God and they were happy. And then we come into chapter 19 right here where we are. And guess what? There's a tax collector who is rich who we're told here is in the environs of Jericho and he's going to go down to his house. It's taking all those elements that precede, puts it into one person and one meeting and bam, there we are. And those things come out in the whole process of the Son of Man seeking in order that he might save. And that man's name was Zacchaeus. Now, as we look at this passage here this morning we're going to look at, look at it from the point of view of in the process of the Son of Man seeking and saving, things happen. Attitudes get stirred up. Somebody said a long time ago, and I remember hearing somebody say this, when somebody meets Jesus, they never stay and go away exactly the same. Either they're the better or the worse. Seems fairly accurate. We encounter in the passage a couple, first of all, very opposing and opposite attitudes. In our portion of scripture that we have, we have a very negative one. There's grumbling and we have a very positive, a very good one. There's a joyful reception of Jesus Christ. In the very process that the Son of Man goes about in seeking to save, it causes a stir. There's something that gets churned up in the wake of the way in which Jesus is going and those who would follow him or those who would not follow him, as it were. There is one very adverse 
and one very advantageous attitude to the soul that comes out in the passage. One reflects the rejection of Christ, grumbling. One reflects the reception of Christ, joyfulness. Two very opposite things. Our passage tells us in verse 7, and when they saw it, this is the crowd of people gathered around there, when they saw, here's this man in the tree, Jesus stopping, speaking with him. When they saw it, they all grumbled. And there it starts to come out. The word grumbled there is one of those uh, words that, you know, like we have in English, it kind of sounds like the very thing that it is, grumble. The way that the word is given to us by the Holy Spirit, um, I know you have a lot of rain. Do you have a lot of thunder that goes with the rain around here? A lot of thunder? Not, not so much thunder? Okay. But perhaps you've heard thunders in the past, different places of the country, different experiences. But a thunder that's off in a distance, and it sort of starts over here, and it sort of moves across the sky. That's what that word is saying. You could hear the wave of the grumbling go through the crowd. It wasn't just a beep, like a lightning strike, and it's over. Like waves going through the people over and over again, relentless. That's what they were doing. Quite a stir, quite a hubbub as they were reacting to what they saw. And it was what they saw that got the ball rolling. It says, and when they saw it, saw what? Saw Jesus speaking with that man up in the tree, knowing who he was and all that was going on there, it set him off. Now, from one point of view, you can kind of appreciate that because this man is, as we're going to see, he's a tax collector and that was not uh, uh, a desirable thing. I mean, they're in an occupied country, okay? It's kind of like after... Uh, World War II, you know, the Allied forces, they occupied Germany, and hey, that's, we kind of resent that, okay? And Rome is here. And not only is Rome here, but Rome has sent their tax collectors, and they're taking our money. And this man is part of that. He's gone to the dark side, and here you are, Jesus, going to talk to that man? That's a little bit upsetting. And so, they're grumbling. But you go down a little bit further beneath the grumbling. Go down in the basement. What's in the basement? Why are they grumbling? It's rooted in sin. Now, this is not just seeing something that's wrong and wanting to correct it. Sin, as far as I can tell in the Bible, grumbling, as far as I can tell in the Bible, is sin. It's not innocent. It's not neutral. It is sin. Now, don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. Don't drive me out of the pulpit this morning here. But it's my observation that this kind of thing of complaining, griping, criticizing, and grumbling about everything under the sun, from the price of gas to the evils of social media to the overreach of governments, blah, 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 has become a national pastime and become very popular in the church. Well, no tomatoes have hit me yet. In fact, we have turned it into a virtue. Grumbling and complaining is good. 
And we really take to heart. If you see something, say something. And we haven't shut up since. Now, don't get me wrong. Wrong is wrong. It's not right. I'm not saying wink at it. Pretend it isn't there. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what I think the Bible is saying. Grumbling is sin. Okay? Maybe we ought to light more candles instead of cursing the darkness. I don't know. Take that as you would. Whatever. I'm just looking at what was going on here when Jesus came to town and spoke with that man. They didn't like it. Just be aware of that potential. What sets it off? What sets it off for you? What gets you going? Well, sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot. It simply says, and when they saw it, they started in. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to waken a sleeping dog and getting him to growling and snarling, and away we go. Maybe it's a pebble in the shoe. I mean, little things, quote unquote, in life, but they feel big to us and they hurt. Maybe it's jealousy. Probably that's an element there. We see what people have and we don't and we want it. We complain. Maybe we're discontented. Are you happy? Are you unhappy in life? Happy with your family, with your marriage, with your work, your neighborhood, your society, your church? Well, we have enough, more than enough, that could potentially set us going, but just be aware of it. Know what's in the basement. You don't have to go down there all the time, but just know what's in the basement. Well, there's that attitude there. That's that's the bad one, okay? And then there's the one that really, I think, we'd really go for most, and that's the one that we see in Zacchaeus. And that is in verse 6, when it says... So Zacchaeus hurried down and he came and he received him. That is, he received Jesus joyfully. With all holy happiness. He was truly then a happy man. I don't know what he was before that, okay? In terms of his affections. But I know now what he is and he is truly a joyful man. We have a couple in our church at home, older couple, and I say older, you know, I've got to watch say that because I'm in the same category. Uh, this couple, they're in their 70s, okay? And uh, this lady, she has Alzheimer's. But she's still able to come out with her husband to every church meeting. Since we've been there, I don't think she's missed one. Comes out every Sunday. And when you would see her and go over and talk with her, the first few seconds, you would think everything's fine. And then you begin to pick up on things. Everything's not fine. But she is one who always has a smile on her face. She's always happy in appearance. She often will have a comeback of something. It may not always fit the context, but she'll have some kind of response. And I asked a person a few weeks ago, what was faith? Oh, what a beautiful name for this believer. What was faith like before Alzheimer's? And the answer was, just like she is now. She's always been that way. And they're describing her personality. When the Holy Spirit says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully, the Spirit is not describing Zacchaeus' personality. He's describing his faith. He has a joyful faith. 
He may have been by disposition a person who's a little bit melancholy as far as I know. I don't know. But I do know that his faith was a joyful faith. Whether it put a smile on his face or not, I don't know. But it had one in his heart. Because he received Jesus. So, we can't say, yep, that's just what Zacchaeus was like. He was just a happy-go-lucky man, wasn't he? I don't know. But I know now he has the joy of the Lord because in the very process of the Son of Man coming to seek and to save the lost, he stirs up things. And sometimes that dust that's stirred up is a grumbling. And sometimes when it's stirred up, it's a joy. But nobody goes away without some kind of influence, without some kind of response, either for good or for ill. What is it? Jesus is coming and he's seeking in order that he might save. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you because you already know, you know everything I've already said. But I want to remind you that your faith and my faith, that we are given a joy that is inexpressible and that's full of glory. That's for all of us. Now, it manifests itself differently according to your personality and your life experiences. But you have all been given, according to First Peter, a joy that we can't even put into words very accurately for sure. That's unspeakable and that's full of glory, wonder, beauty. It's breathtaking. Whatever your personality might be. This is the joy that the Lord has given. And this is the grace that comes out and is with those who are saved. Well, a couple of attitudes here that we've looked at in the process of the Son of Man coming to seek and to save stirs things up. Here it is. We see the grumbling on the one hand. We see that godly gladness, if you will, on the other hand. Now, secondly, I want here with us this morning in this passage, I want, as we see the unfolding of the Son of Man seeking and saving, it, it reveals to us in that process some things, especially in the life of Zacchaeus, that we ordinarily, ordinary people, ordinary society, think make people happy. What makes you happy? What gives you joy? We could get all kinds of responses here. I'm, I'm looking for things in the passage now that we people, if you will, ordinarily think, well, this will give people happiness and this will give people joy. I'm thinking of things like, for example, at the end of or uh, yes, in the middle of verse nine, Jesus says today salvation's come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, son of Abraham. Now, we know from the, the full scope of the scripture that son of Abraham has all three words, son of Abraham, three words that are just chucked full, chucked full of truth. But we know that on the one hand, son of Abraham can be understood quite literally. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit beginning here and on through the epistles is going to open up that concept of the seed of Abraham and the son of Abraham to be very expansive, okay? 
So you've kind of got a lower story, you've got a higher story, right? And with Zacchaeus, I think he's got a a two-level house. He starts out in the lower story. He's a son of Abraham. In other words, you check his DNA. You go to 23andMe. You go to Ancestry.com. You do a little DNA testing. Guess what? Boom. Abraham was your great, 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 however many great ago grandfather. Son of Abraham. But of course, Jesus is elevating that whole concept up to the level of the true seed of Abraham. Who's the true Jew? And that sort of thing. In other words, Abraham, at the very most basic fundamental level, has a good family. Families make people happy. Good families, that is. And he has such a thing. He has good parentage. He has a good family name. And a good name is to be, is to be desired above great riches. And Zacchaeus has it. Last fall, um, Pauline and I were able to travel to a village, I guess we'd call it a town, in Germany named Korbach, which happens to be the place where my family, the Trommel family, can be traced back to the 1500s. That just blew me away. And we got to go in the city hall and see a Trommel crest up on the window that had been there so long that people don't even know who did it or how it got there. But it goes way back. The Trummel name goes way back, and we can trace it way back. I got family connections. That's great. That's wonderful. But it's not my greatest joy. I'm glad for it. I'm grateful for it. Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham. That's quite a privilege. What makes people happy? Well, sometimes it's family. Now, sometimes families are messes. Maybe I'm talking to somebody here who's got a family that is a mess. Truthfully, I haven't met one yet that doesn't have some messes in it that need to be cleaned up. Maybe you help make it a mess. I don't know. I'm sure I had my contributions. You know where you're from. You know your connections. You know your heritage. I'll bet you some of you don't. Some of you know where you've come from and you don't care. Some of you, you really know where you've come from. You resent it. All kinds of things, all kinds of muddled messes and everything, good, bad, in and out, up, down, can't live with them, can't live without them, families. Zacchaeus had it. But that's not where the Lord is going to let him stop. Not in the first story of a son of Abraham. By grace, he's come to seek and to save the lost. And he's going to take him up to the second story of the son of Abraham. That's saving grace. My point here is, brothers and sisters, don't stop too low. Climb high. He did, literally, in a sycamore tree. What makes people happy? Well, in the process of Jesus coming to seek and save, he kind of shows us some of the things that ordinarily we might think that would make people happy and get them satisfied, like a good family, or how about a good profession? Now, he was a tax collector. That's not necessarily good, but it's not intrinsically wrong to be a tax collector. 
Let's make it more generic. He has a career. Innocuous, right? At least he's willing to work. How about you up here? Everywhere we go travel, and we've been across the country, everywhere we go, help wanted. Help wanted. I don't care what business it is. Help wanted. At least willing to work. Zacchaeus was willing to work, and no doubt he worked hard. He had a profession going for him. He was a tax collector. Now, that was not the most honored and revered profession. That is for sure. But it's always been there. You know, every calendar I've looked at has April the 15th. It's just here to stay, folks. And he's there. He's part of that system, if you will. But you know what? That wasn't it. Jesus didn't tell him, get out of the business, find a new career. He told other people, don't take more than you're supposed to take. Have some integrity of what you do. He controlled it, but he didn't eliminate it, if you will. And so he's got a business, if you will. He's got a profession. He's working at it. But that's not going to be the end of it. That's not the end all. That's not him saying, you know what? Wow, I got it. Here I am. I am complete. I am enough. I am satisfied. That's the problem that we have as people being satisfied too soon, too easily, too quickly with things that pass away. But Jesus shows us in the process of coming and seeking to save, he he stirs up these things and he shows us through Zacchaeus things that people think might uh, make them happy and they can stop with that, whether it's a family or whether it's their career or it's, in this case, it's what also uh, he was able to gain in his career and he he gained status, he gained position because it says he was a chief tax collector. You know, Rome's, Rome's, um, uh, tax, uh, Bureau of Taxation was like our IRS. It was very complex. They had many levels, branches, organization within it. It was very complex. And he was one of the top dogs. He had been given some status, if you will. He was a chief tax collector, which meant he had responsibility and there were people under him, sort of like a district supervisor or however you you want to think of it. But he had position, he had been promoted, and that's good. It's good, if you will, to be recognized in your profession if you're out in the workforce and for the boss to say to you, hey, I see your work, that's good, you get a bonus or you get a promotion or here's a new opportunity, you can make a few steps up if you want, however it works. Well, he had gone through that. But Jesus shows him, you know what, Zacchaeus, even though you're the chief tax collector, don't stand on that. That's not the basis of your acceptance. That's not the basis of, of the greatest joy that there is. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a common grace of God that he's given. But don't simply stop there. Now, what have you found in, in your life if, if you're working? What have you found if you're whatever your profession might have been. If it's an engineer, you're a consultant, you're a tradesman, you're in sales, you're a student, whatever. What do you find there? Do you find satisfaction, joy? Is it a pleasure? That's good. That's good. But it's not the end of it. It's simply a point along the path that the Lord has given us. And the Lord would not have Zacchaeus Stop with that. Whatever you do, don't stop with that. 
And in the process of Jesus coming, the Son of Man, to seek and to save the lost, he shows us along the way things that we think will make people happy and give them that real contentment and, and joy in life, like a family, a profession, or promotion, or how about even possessions? That's the big one usually for most of us. It says that this man, who was the chief tax collector, was rich. He had, if you will, a lot of possessions. He was rich. He was wealthy. Through the years, haven't done it so much lately. Shame on me. I would go out in our neighborhood and I would, for a little bit of fresh air, a little bit of exercise, I would walk around the neighborhood. Sometimes I'd be on the sidewalk. Sometimes our neighborhood's pretty safe. I would be in the street. I'd walk down the street. Miles and miles and miles. I probably walk hundreds of miles in our neighborhood. And every once in a while I look down and, oh, I see some money. Somebody dropped. Do you know what the most common coin is that people drop and don't pick up? What is it? Of course. It's the penny. But I pick them up. But you know what? The coins that I find are pennies, maybe a nickel once in a while, rarely a dime, almost never a quarter. I don't know if I've ever found a dollar bill. You know what? Zacchaeus never had to stop and pick up a penny. And if a dollar was blowing across the street, I doubt that he would even notice. He was wealthy. In other words, he had everything that he wanted or could want or that, quote, money could buy. He was well-to-do. No question about it, he didn't all have it all by legitimate means. And he fessed up to that later when he said to the Lord, this is what I'll do. I'll make some restitution here. You know, when you stop and think about it, we're pretty wealthy in America. You, you don't always feel that. I know that. But we're pretty wealthy here. Most of our needs, if not all of our needs, are, are met. Certainly mine have been. The Lord has been very kind to us through all the years. But when you stop and think about it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, to have the wealth of the world, to have the millions and billions, and to lose his soul? When you stop and think about it, what does it really matter to have a bigger barn, to put the bumper crop in? What does it really matter? When the same one who warned us against that said, there's a pearl of great price. There's one. It's one pearl of great price. And the value of that pearl is so great that it's worth liquidating all your assets in order to have that one pearl. You see, it's not the many things. It's the one thing of the world. It's Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what he would have us to obtain is himself. And even though this man was rich, what did it count for? Here's the account of Jesus, the son of man, coming to seek and to save the lost. And here was this man with all of this, if you will, going for him, which really was nothing going for him. You know what you're seeing when you see this Zacchaeus being saved? What you are seeing is more fascinating than if you could see a camel go through the eye of a needle. 
because you're seeing a rich man who was entering into the kingdom of heaven, which is impossible with men. But all things are possible with God. What you're seeing is a miracle. Do I believe in miracles? I believe in miracles. I do. Every time a depraved soul is born again and raised from the dead to live in Christ, a miracle has happened. I believe in miracles. Whenever anybody is transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, a miracle has happened. Whenever anyone who, by the Spirit, says Jesus is Lord, a miracle has happened. Do I believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? I want to tell you, if we don't, we're doomed. And here is the miracle. As the Son of Man has come, and in that whole matter and process, seeking and ultimately saving, and giving him a joy a day of remembrance. If we took an account here of all the saved people in the room and what's your story? What did the Lord use? Who were you? What were you? Blah, blah. We have quite a varied account here of what it was like. Some say, well, I was saved, but, you know, it's kind of over a time. I can't put my finger right on the moment. Okay. But I know whom I believe and I haven't turned back. Some of you say, oh, man, I know the crisis. I can tell you the place. I can tell you the day. I can tell you the hour in which I believe I was made new in Christ. OK, wonderful. And we've been brought out of death into life. We've been made new in him. Just like Zacchaeus. That is the miracle. Of the Son of Man seeking and saving. Now I started out with the two attitudes. One very bad, one very good. Looked at some of the things that make people, we think, joyful, happy. I'm going to go back to the two attitudes and I'm going to end with that. I'll return to those two that we started with. The grumbling and the joy. Now obviously those two are worlds apart. They're quite in contrast with one another. And generally, saved and unsaved line up under these two headings. Those who are grumbling, those who are joyful. Just in general, I'm saying. Here are two categories. You know, it was like in sports, you know, uh, High school, junior, higher, whatever. We're going to have two teams count off. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. One's here, two's over there. Grumblers over here, joyful people over here. Are you a one or a two? Under which heading would you come if those were the two headings? Well, let me give you a little trilogy here. On the grumbling side, the trilogy would go like this because remember what's in the basement is it's fed by sin and the trilogy goes like this sin is grievous guilt is horrible and hell is torment now let me give you another trilogy it's on the other side the side where Zacchaeus is standing 
And that trilogy would go, Christ is joy, forgiveness is happiness, and heaven is eternal bliss. I think if you tried to unpack that, you could see the truth that is there in those things. So it's not just a narrative about, hey, what's your personality type? Are you upbeat, joyful? Nothing gets you down. Are you down the dumps and, oh, things are hard and you're like, oh, Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore, I guess it is, that character. Well, your personality may be one thing. That's what it is. But what of your spirit? What of your standing with the Lord? You know, we learn something. It's kind of an irony, a holy irony. We learn something from what the crowd had to say when they were grumbling. And what did they say when they were grumbling? It says when they saw it, they grumbled and they said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, the holy irony of their grumbling is this. When they said, Jesus went to the house of a man who is a sinner. Were they just being critical? Yeah. But were they wrong? No. They spoke the truth. He was a sinner. Albeit, we would say from this point of view, not yet saved. So they voiced their grumbling. They let their attitude be made known. And what they said was true. That's the irony of it. It was true. Remember that other tax collector who stood off in the corner in the temple court? What did he say? Couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. He spoke it of himself. These people spoke it of Zacchaeus. And they were both right. We have to identify who we are and where we are in relationship to the things of God. They spoke the truth. Now, it's like the crowd has come out with a double-barreled shotgun and they aim one shot at Zacchaeus and they shoot at him and they, they hit him. He's a sinner. And they fire the other barrel at Jesus and they hit him. And they hit him with these words. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Is that true? Did he go into the house of that man who was a sinner? I sure hope so. And I sure know so. He did. Zacchaeus was a despicable sinner. And would Jesus dare set foot in the house of such a man as he? Yes. And he gave him such a joyful day of happy remembrance because he did. He received him joyfully. You know, if Jesus doesn't go into the house of the sinner, we're all in big trouble. We are in big trouble. And that's one of the reasons why I asked Brother Ben if we could sing the hymn today. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
You singing that song in your mind again? It's true. Because he's the son of man who's come to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus gives us this beautiful, powerful, gracious picture of the Son of Man in the very process of seeking and saving the lost. Now, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us in the room are able to say, yep, I know what you're talking about. Happy day when God saved me. And the grace of God came to me, however it came to you, in the working of God's mystery. And he made you a new creature in Christ. The old passed away. Behold, all things became new. Wow, what a wonderful thing. And now joy unspeakable and full of glory. Wonderful, wonderful thing. May I remind you, because we do need to be reminded, that to not have our joy in the Lord as our preeminent joy would be a great sin of omission. You know how easily we drift back into the <clears throat> the old patterns and Ben prayed about these kinds of things, you know, things that we didn't think imaginable. Sometimes we're into and we forget and we neglect and all the. Yep, that's who we are. So may I just simply remind you that our greatest, ultimate, highest, most wonderful joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does the Bible say rejoice in the Lord? Again, I'll say rejoice. You know, you ever thought about it? Thank God that God commands our emotions. You know, we think, well, I feel how I feel and I can't help it. That's just how I feel. You know what Jesus says to you by the Holy Spirit? He says, be glad. Rejoice. I'm commanding your emotions, your affections. Make them centered on me. Now, here's the funny thing about this joy business. The more you seek joy itself, the more elusive it becomes and the less you are able to obtain it. Think about it. Our world is filled, and I mean filled to the brim, to overflowing, with people who want to be happy, who want to be joyful, all of these kinds of things, and they will do anything and everything to try to obtain it. Is the joy factor going up in our world? You find people are happier and more joyful and contented and peaceful and all these kinds of things because they're really struggling to get a hold of that joy. Well, I don't mean to contradict anybody, but I don't find that. I find just the opposite. The more they strive for it, the less they're able to obtain it. That seems kind of funny, doesn't it? Because they and sometimes we are not looking at the one who is the joy. And his name is Jesus. And we think, I got to be happy. I'm kind of down. I'm sad. Are you looking to Jesus? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He gives us the faith and everything that we need in the faith, including joy. It comes from him. Hey, it's not going to be yours apart from Jesus. And so we're looking, we need to be constantly looking to him. 
And so maybe the word of God is helping reorient. Maybe some of your some of your thinking, I don't know, helps me from time to time. And I certainly need that because I can drift far afield. One other thing I want to say before I end here, and that is. Um, here, here's an uh, here's an account of. Uh, well, Spurgeon said that he said it something like this. He said, when it comes to prayer, we ought to pray when we feel like praying because it'd be terrible to waste such an opportunity. But we ought to also pray when we don't feel like praying because it would be terrible to remain in such an attitude for very long. In other words, it's always in season. And receiving and knowing and going out to Christ in faith is always in season. Good season, bad season. You happy, you sad. Doesn't matter, go to the Lord. And that's what we're, we're finding here. The grumbling was there because they wouldn't go to the Lord. They would plot their own way through life. They were the more, if you will, knowledgeable, wise than Jesus was. But where did they end up? You know, something that this passage shows us that gives us as believers great hope. And this is not the account of a man seeking the Lord as much as we think it is. You know, here's Zacchaeus. He heard Jesus is coming. It says he wanted to see who he was. So he got out ahead of the crowd. He found uh, this help, climbed up in that sycamore tree. And lo and behold, Jesus came right there and boom, there he was. It's not the account of a man seeking Jesus. It's the account of Jesus seeking the man. That's the emphasis. And, and what, I, what I love so much, and it gives me great hope, because I know I'm powerless. I can't change anybody's mind. I can't give grace or faith to anybody. But my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can. And this is what he does. He says... To the man in the tree, get yourself down here because I must go and stay at your house today. Who invited whom? It's not the account of a man inviting Jesus into his life. It's the account of Jesus inviting himself into his house. You see, Jesus does not ask for permission. He certainly doesn't ask for forgiveness. He does not ask for permission to come into a life. He makes a pronouncement that he's coming. And who is to say no? Jesus does not discuss the issue of salvation. He decides it. And he brings himself he does not negotiate the terms of salvation. He notifies him. I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus had the day of his life of joyful remembrance. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, seeking and saving the lost. I know he's found some already. Many. Probably most, but there's others yet to be found. And may he, like he went with Zacchaeus, find those whom he would.
and give a day of joyful remembrance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word because your word is true. It is faithful. Your word is instructive. It's enlightening. Your word is, Lord, all that you want it to be for us and for our good. And I would pray and we would pray together today that the hearing of your word with the blessing of the Holy Spirit would yield faith, would yield praise, would yield worship, honor, and glory to your holy name. We thank you. How many of us thank you so much, Lord, that indeed you have come into the world and that you have in your most powerful, kind and loving way have found and have saved. The praise and the honor be yours now and forever. And through Jesus, we do pray together. Amen.